Welcome to CBAW Loves, a book club podcast from Community Building Artworks. I'm Seema Ressa. And I'm Amelia Bain. Each episode, Seema and I will invite a rotating cast of fellow writers and artists to discuss a book that we love. We hope you'll read along and join the conversation. Welcome back to CBAW Loves. I'm Amelia Bain. And I'm Seema Reza. We are so delighted to present something a little different. Hoshonda Sanders is the author of several books. Uh, Her most recent is a historical fiction novel called Women of the Post, which follows a unit called the 6888, which was the first group of Black women to serve overseas in support of World War II. After reading Women of the Post, it seemed like the best way to engage with this book was to include veterans in the conversation. And so we switched up our format a little bit and put out a call. And this is you know, part of why it took a little longer to get this episode out because there were more moving pieces. Um, But we put out a call to our more than one story participants. These are women and non-binary veterans who have served in the military over the past many decades. The more than one story program is a suicide prevention program partially funded by the VA. And we are creating a sort of virtual community center through once a month workshops. People join us from all over the country and the world. And it was really, really wonderful to to be able to hear them in conversation with Hoshanda, talking about the difference of their experience um, and the similarities, what hasn't changed in all this time. This was such a, an exciting book for us to choose for CBAW Loves because we love nonfiction, but we've also been hoping to do a little bit more fiction. And so this was like kind of a, a combination of both because we got to learn from this really well-researched book, this incredibly detailed research of this important piece of history, but it was also a really compelling story. I think it was a, a profound experience for many of them to be able to like think into a story that reflected them. Yeah. And our conversation was far reaching. It's, you know, as these conversations go, we were on the book, but then we also heard some really uh, vulnerable personal stories, uh, personal experiences in the military. We're excited to be able to share a, a portion of that conversation. And we hope that you'll read the book and join us in the ongoing conversation about this book. I met Hoshanda at Hedgebrook while she was finishing up the novel and was so, so delighted when she agreed to join us for this conversation. Now that I've written about the six AAA and like sort of dug into some of this history, uh, it's like now there are all these other figures, these hidden figures, you know, like in history that I'm like, what? Has anybody written about you? Why haven't they written about you? <laughs> <laughs> Should I write about you? Do I have enough time left in the world? To, can, I, can I write all these things? And no, I can't. But So that's why, you know, we need your stories and for you to tell them so that someone, some other angsty introvert can come along <laughs> after we're gone and, uh, and fictionalize it 
and, you know, introduce people to your stories too. Charity Adams, One Woman's Army. I mean, I just went back to it over and over again and filled in the gaps, you know, that and embellished, you know, her intimate friendship with her executive officer. And, you know, in part because I felt like it was so important to to also just incorporate queer experience in the military as well. Um, understanding that if you go to a different shore and people have no expectations of you, that you also, that's also a kind of liberation, that it also means that you're free to have these kinds of relationships and also to redefine yourself the way you want to be defined. And of course you may have to go back home or you may not, but it means that you have a taste of freedom and you can explore. I'd like to talk a little bit about how General J.G. Nash changed his mind, you know, and actually apologized. You know, that that was actually like a real interaction that Charity Adams writes about in One Woman's Army where, you know, she had this, you know, the the, the reverend who was kind of a buffoon who shows up and, you know, the uh, that that interaction where he tells her, you know, when she says like over my dead body, like, you know, she actually had that interaction. I think there's always the temptation given narratives of Black experience and Black lived experience in our culture for white people to be bad and all bad and to like have zero grace because racism and, and or they're like white saviors, right? And so I was really interested in J.G. Nash's apology because that is complex. That is the complexity of race relations to this day is that you can abide by the caste system in our country and all of the trauma and the negative repercussions of it, but also people change and they evolve. And I, I do have grace for people who acknowledge that people before that they didn't see as deserving of even like being considered human, let alone respect, um, actually have proven themselves to actually be human and also to be worthy and to be valuable. And, and so I felt like it was a really important moment to include because certainly she was dismissed and has been dismissed by history and that is not okay. And, and like, that is only slowly starting to change. But there were also white men who saw her and respected her, um, even though she didn't seek it. And even though their lack of respect didn't deter her, you know? So I just, I feel like that's an important thing to remember that it's like, it's not just all, it's it, just because, um, their narratives have been championed and centered and favored doesn't mean there weren't also white men who were who who were trying to be better human beings the ship scene on their way back it is that based on history or did you because um i uh i connected it with uh, general nash and how that ship captain said she's the highest ranking on this ship, you know, you're under her command or you got 16 minutes to get off the boat. Correct. You know, that was, that was she, she, con she conveyed that in her, in her memoir that like, 
you know, have to read your memoir now. Yeah, yeah. You know? should all read One Woman's Army. It's published by Texas A&M. It's, pre it's pretty short. It's like, um, you know, unfortunately, a small text. So you might need to get the large print version. Um, it's like single space. But, you know, I think it's like less than 200 pages. It was so rich. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, I recreated the scene, but, you know, she basically was making the point that even before I left, like, I, you know, we had done, you know, we had done these amazing feats and we, you know, all these millions of pieces of backlog mail and we're Black women in France and Black women in Birmingham, England. And, you know what I mean? It's like superheroes in, in World War II. And then it's time to go home. And, you know, these white nurses are like, you're not my leader. <laughs> and then Charity is like, I sure am. And then the, the guy who's like trying to get the ship going is like, she sure is. <laughs> so like, if you got problems with that, you you need to go. You know, it's just like I like this is fantastic. I love it. I couldn't I couldn't invent a better like exemplary like example of like disrespect of black women in leadership. You know, it, it like happens to this day. People are like, I don't recognize you as telling me what to do and it's like that's too bad <laughs> they're like do you want to walk back to you want to swim back to america yeah really <laughs> that's gonna suck for you and also people are products of their time i mean it's not an excuse of them you know but i mean it's not i'm not i'm not excusing racist behavior by any means and obviously like i don't let anyone off the hook as it relates to this idea that you know there was going to be some kind of happy ending, <laughs> you know, like for charity, like she goes back to the racist South and she ends up leaving the country in real life, you know, to be with her husband and to go study psychotherapy, I think it is, and become a therapist and, uh, you know, to continue to overachieve and be excellent, like in another context, you know, it's in a parallel way to Judy, you know, which is why I was, I love that Judy was like, I'm gonna stay over here with my white husband. I'm out. Um, you know, like I'm not, I don't mind trying to come back there and like have you guys chase me around because I wear my uniform, you know, like this is dumb. Um, and also like I'd like to live, you know. <laughs> Still got some time left. One of the things you said, Hoshanda, about there are these people who are in that time and are not a product of that time. Like that's not a foregone conclusion that we have to be a product of our time. Like in every time there are people who genuinely think about like is this the right thing regardless of what society tells them they can get away with it's it's such an extraordinary thing because it it it's relevant to all of us at, in every moment right to make this choice of like okay but is that do it check in with myself do i really believe that you know so many of you raised your hands at this idea of like when you joined the military it wasn't it wasn't the thing to do Right. You checked in with yourself and you're like, well, it is the thing for me to do right now. Um, I, I just think that's so, so, so powerful the way that we can change the course of history. Right. Like Charity, Charity Adams was able to be there because there were a few people who were like, no, this is a powerful, capable person who should be in leadership. And I'll stick my neck out to make that, you know, make that happen. I have in my imagination still the white lieutenant, or I forget his rank, and I, I'm gonna Colonel go. that that sat with her in the train. The guy on the train. Oh my god! I imagine him in my mind. He is Alexander Skarsgård in a uniform, 
giving the conductors the business <laughs> because he's like, I'm going to have breakfast on this train with this lady who was also in uniform like me. And I loved embellishing this again, a, another small section of charity Adams talking about this man defending her, not because I wanted there to be a white male savior in the book, but because I wanted, I wanted not, I think women already know that and you already know this, like, I feel like black people in particular already know this, like there are good folks who will defend us and who will stand up and like, who are going to go against history and societal norms to, 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 to stand up for what's right and to, to recognize our humanity. But I also think that there aren't enough templates for people who want to do the right thing, but don't know how and haven't really seen what it looks like in practice. And so they get stuck in what they've always done or what other people are doing or what they know, what has been modeled for them, which is like, I'm just going to mind my business. Like she's in the wrong place, whatever. I'm just going to do what everybody else is doing, you know? But to have someone like him say, are you an idiot? Like <laughs> if the uniform personnel are going first and I'm in a uniform and she's in a uniform, then we're going, <laughs> you know, like, duh. And I, I, I just loved feeling that and, no and knowing that that was possible and that that's a different model of a white person standing up and being a co-conspirator or an ally in a moment where other people would just leave you to like, just deal with being disrespected. Before we close, I would love um, your favorite scene in the book. I would just love to hear everyone's moments. And I'm going to say mine first so someone doesn't take mine. When they're, when they're drinking the moonshine around the circle and Mary Alice comes stumbling out of the woods, I like sat up in bed. I was like, ah, oh, this is the thing they came for. Whether they knew what to expect or not, this was the thing they came for. And thank you for that moment, Hajunda. And the toast, the toast they give. Anyone else have a favorite? Yeah, Ray. When uh, Charity uh, overheard her uh, female soldiers calling her Big Ma, you know, and sort of like a term of endearment. And kind of smiled to herself. I can just imagine her smiling to herself. You know. That was a good scene. I don't have a favorite part. But one part that sticks with me. Is when they're in England. And they find this old building. And they convert it into what they need. Mm -hmm. You know. It could be so easy to just. Go okay we don't have it. You know, we'll just live with it. But they got together and they figured out what they wanted, what they needed, and they made it happen. I thought it was very sweet at the beginning in the bowling alley scene when they converted that. And mm -hmm. then um, what was really like upsetting and it was in the very beginning when Judy goes to uh, that woman's house to work and the woman gives her 50 cents but it turned out it was her own two quarters and that was just so oh, yeah so de degrading and uh, 
symbolic. And if I can just add one more thing, talking about women's role, like when I went in 79 and now my daughter-in-law is in the Navy, she's a bosun's mate. And that's a really heavily male-dominated job rating. And now she's just made rank, you know, a pretty good rank. But just even now, she had to really fight for her stature there and her respect because, again, it's really dominated by males. And a woman's bosun's mate, it's like one of the oldest ratings in the Navy, the nuts and bolts of the ship. I wouldn't have thought of even a woman doing that when I, when I went in. Good for her, mm-hmm. yeah. But she's had a lot of, you know, pushback. Yeah. I think it's always going to be the case. And, you know, I think mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, I, I work uh, I work at a foundation um, and I've always worked in sort of, <laughs> oh, thanks, Ray. Um, I was bummed the book was over too. Um, <laughs> I was like, I hate it when I had to stop. Um, but I think, you know, what, when I first started at the position that I'm in and I've always worked in, in places where there were mostly men, like, um, newsrooms, uh, at newspapers around the country, or, um, you know, when I worked in government at the department of energy, you know, like, it's just like places where men are like, they're doing the thing. Um, but when I came to this job, um, you know, I, I had a supervisor say, uh, you know, don't, like, don't do the imposter syndrome thing, you know, like, this is not a place that was made for you to succeed. And um, you shouldn't feel like an imposter, because it just wasn't created for you, you know, so like, it's amazing that you're here, and you can make your own path. But, you know, don't get swept up in this idea that you, um, uh, that you need to fit or sort of belong in a in a place that was never intended for you to exist anyway. And um, he said it, I'm sure, more eloquently than that. But, um, you know, I still have my imposter syndrome because I'm me and that's what it is. You know, we all want to belong and feel like we fit and that we don't have to fight, you know, for respect, for validation, for rank and all those things. But I think it's just a... a it's what our society is, is that, you know, people have, uh, we've created a society where people expect you to, to be one way. And when you defy those expectations and you upend uh, what they have in mind for you, um, they being whoever, um, then, you know, it it's subversive and it makes people, you know, some people feel really threatened. Um, and so I think all of the the discord that that emanates from that is really just it's like a th- it's a recurring theme you know history history has shown us you know that that's just how it will be you I mean just that is so wise to not beat yourself up over not succeeding in a place or feeling like you're not succeeding in a place that was never designed for you to succeed in it thank you all for this incredible, incredible, incredible conversation. Thank you, Hoshanda, for your generosity of time, for this book, for sort of opening your brain to us so we could walk through it a little bit. Um, (laughs) Not in a creepy way. That is a little gross. Um, You can walk around in my brain. It's not really, there's a lot of rooms in there. (laughs) It's kind of spacious. 
this is such a joy. Um, and just like a real privilege, you know, to to hear from you about your experiences and to to learn from you and um and thank you for the time and the the labor and just the experience that you've put into reading the book and and um and sharing your thoughts with me about it. This has been really, really a treat. Thanks for listening to that brilliant, beautiful conversation, or at least some of it, with Hoshanda Sanders. The other voices you heard were Ray Ohayadin, myself, Sima Reza, Martha Peterson, and Madeline Dirks. To get a copy of this book, you can go to Bookshop or Amazon or Barnes & Noble, wherever it is that you buy books. We'll have a link in the show notes for you as well. The book, again, is Women of the Post, and we were joined by the brilliant author, Hoshanda Sanders. Our next book is the novel City of Laughter by Tamim Fruchter. We hope you'll join us. CBAW Loves is a community-building artworks podcast produced by Amelia Bain with music by Rose Blakelock. CBAW is committed to mission belonging, reconnecting veterans with their communities. For more information, visit our website, www.cbaw.org.